Welcome to Blogs on Tape. Today's post is Pleasures of the OSR, Secrecy and Discovery. Written by Ben L. and originally published in April of 2019 on his blog Mazerian's Garden at mazeriansgarden.blogspot.com. Pleasures of the OSR, Secrecy and Discovery. This is the first in a series of posts that try to say something about the theory of the OSR style of play. I promise never to use jargon, but if you don't like self-conscious reflection on what we do in practice, then this series probably isn't for you. That's why I added the label theory to the posts in this series, so that you can avoid it like the plague. My way of conceptualizing our playstyle is to speak about the distinctive pleasures this style facilitates. It is play, after all, and so the whole point is for it to be a pleasurable activity. Each post in this series will explore how the rules and methods we use facilitate one or another distinctive pleasure. These pleasures are, in many cases, mutually supporting in OSR play, and so they come as a package, but in other cases, they're in some tension with one another, so there's going to be a little bit of explaining why I'm keener for some elements of OSR-style play than others. Recently, I have been reading a lot of story games, including Apocalypse World and its progeny, powered by the Apocalypse, or PBTA games, and Blades in the Dark and its scions, Forged in the Dark, FITD games. I've also been hanging around the Gauntlet community. I have signed up for my first session in their delightful and ongoing story game version of Constant Con. I also have been listening to the excellent Dungeon World, a PBTA game, actual play podcast, We Hunt the Keepers. For me, this process has been tremendously clarifying. I think what they do is really neat, and seeing how it's different from what we do helps me understand why we do some of the things we do. There's nothing like seeing the space of alternatives to better understand the niche you occupy. I'm also interested in how we could get some of the pleasures they chase into our games without diluting the pleasures we're chasing. As it turns out, this is not so easy, for reasons I'll explain eventually. One of the primary pleasures I get from playing D&D is discovery. Discovery involves uncovering something previously unknown. When I discover something... I learn, or am finding out, about that thing. In some uses, say in science or geographical exploration, we use as the subject of knowledge humanity as a whole, and speak of discovering something only when knowledge is first brought to light. This is the sense in which Einstein discovered spatial relativity, and the sense in which Christopher Columbus emphatically did not discover the quote-unquote new world, in spite of what your junior high school teacher might have told you. 
But we also speak of discovery in an individual register, as I might discover that I am really good at philosophy, or I might discover some interesting historical fact about my neighborhood, a fact which other people know and have known, but which is new to me. One crucial point is this. In the ordinary sense of the term, one can only discover something that is already there. If you're making something up, that's not discovering it. Another important point is that we need to distinguish between the character, PC, discovering something in the world of the game, and the player of that character discovering something about the world of the game. Those are two very different things. It is possible for the character to discover something while the player does not discover anything. One case is where the player already knows what his character discovers. Another case is where, in the fiction of the game, the character comes to discover something, but the player does not because the fact was made up on the spot, either by the player or by the DM. In this case, Although in the fiction of the game there was a fact about something that existed in advance, and your character just found it out, in reality, there was no fact about this feature of the game world in advance. And so, as a player outside the fiction, there was nothing for you to discover. So here is one of the pleasures of the OSR style of play. It makes available the pleasure of discovery about the world of the game and the things in it. This fact depends on a differentiation of roles between DMs and players. The DM, in designing the world, building the sandbox, creating and stocking the dungeons, making up the NPCs, and so on, acquires one secret after another. On the OSR style of play, Prep is essentially stocking a storehouse of secrets. The players, by contrast, go into the situations they choose to enter in a state of ignorance. They are in the dark about the nature of this strange tower their character has decided to explore. They do not know what is around the next corner, or in that chest. They do not know what the NPCs are up to, or even what NPCs and factions there are. They do not know what will happen if they put that obviously magical crown on their head. This is tremendous fun for both the player and the DM. For the player, there is immediate tension in entering into a situation without knowing what's going on. In OSR games, the stakes are almost always high, since they include the life and death of the character, but also the success or failure of many schemes. The lack of knowledge is thus a source of peril and uncertainty. It is both an obstacle to be overcome and a hazard to be dared. There is also a thrill of discovery, of uncovering things that are hidden. If the game is being played well, What is discovered are not boring things. Every dungeon is initially a mystery, every artifact a hidden wonder, every faction an unknown quantity. To explore a dungeon is to unravel the mystery of the place. 
This feature receives dramatic representation in the fact that one begins a hex crawl with a blank sheet of paper, and dungeon exploration with a blank sheet of graph paper. Judges Guild, for example, always included both a filled-in DMs map and a blank map for players to fill in. All that white space on the map is a representation of your ignorance as a player, and the satisfaction of marking what is known is the graphic record of the pleasures of discovery. This pleasure extends to large-scale discovery of elements of the setting and world. Since the OSR specializes in highly evocative settings, from the deep geological horror of the veins of the earth to the mythic Slavic weirdness of the hill cantons, this journey into the unknown is also a coming to know about a fantastical world and its secrets. For the DM, the associated pleasures are different. The DM sets something up and then sees how the players cope with it in their state of ignorance. First of all, there is pleasure in knowing something that others don't know. The DM is the one in the know, the one who has the synoptic vision of what's going on that others lack. This is represented at the table in a striking form by the presence of a DM screen, a kind of symbolic and real veil that hides the prepared storehouse of secrets from the view of the players. From behind, literal or figurative, screen, the DM gets to hear the player's theories, suppressing a smile when the guess is wrong, or right. They see the consequences of the player's high-stakes choices in conditions of ignorance, getting the thrill of anticipating the cascading consequences. Another pleasure of having secrets is sharing them. The DM gets the immense pleasure of letting the players in on the secrets as they discover more and more. This includes the dramatic pleasure of the big reveal, or the Saturday night specials, but also the more quotidian pleasure of describing something, a room, an NPC, for the first time. But that's just the beginning. If the DM has done their job right, then the PCs are walking into a tightly coiled spring. The DM participates in that sense of palpable tension that flows from player ignorance. They don't know what choices the players will make, coping well or badly with their ignorance, and the DM is as much on the edge of their seats as the players are. In one way, the tension is greater for the DM, since the DM knows what the players are up against. One way to see the significance of this pleasure is to see how it is undermined by some of the basic aims of story games. This is not a knock against story games, since my view is that they're largely chasing different pleasures that are not so easy for us to get at. I also don't mean to say that you cannot pursue this pleasure in a story game, but there are certain widely shared design goals in story games that make it harder. Story games generally try to break down the asymmetry of DM and players by allowing the players into the role of creation. Through myriad techniques and rules, they distribute to players the world-making, scene-describing, NPC-reacting job 
that the OSR reserves for the DM. The idea is that the players and the DM are telling a story together in a certain genre, in a kind of improvisational mode. Reality is, in a certain sense and to varying degrees, up for grabs in accordance with the rules that dole out narrative control. This means that while their characters might discover things, it's much harder for the players to do so. To the extent that discovery is possible for the players, it's because the DM is reserving some things and refusing to cede narrative control over them. They are facts that are fixed in the fiction independently of what the players want and choose, facts known to the DM and not known to the players. The point is just, a lot of rules in story games push against this. This steers the game away from the pleasures of discovery, whereas the OSR is on a straight road headed to that destination. A conceptual test case is the fascinating game Lovecraft-esque. First, let me say that it seems like a really fun game that I think I might enjoy playing especially on a cold winter night in New England. Lovecraft-esque eschews the asymmetrical roles of DM and player altogether, since it is a DM-less, some prefer to say DM-full, game that distributes the entire bundle of DM powers and prerogatives to the players in turns. For each scene, participants occupy one of three roles. The narrator, DM, the Watcher, DM's Helper, or the Witness, the one player character. It is thus on the outer limit of the common design goal of story games, of democratizing control over narrative. It's interesting for our purposes since it also concerns the genre of Lovecraftian horror, which is all about the slow-burning discovery of some terrible secret. It is a genre that would seem to be tailor-made in role-playing games for realizing the pleasures of discovery, but the game faces a basic problem. It wants to give the pleasures of discovery, but since the participants in the game are making the truth up as they go along, this is not so easy. Here's how the rules navigate this problem. Each scene, up until the final confrontation with the horror, ends with a clue being revealed by the current narrator. At the end of each scene, each player jumps to a conclusion, writing secretly on a sheet of paper their current speculation about the nature of the events befalling the witness and the cosmic horror behind it all. Perhaps events will prove their speculation wrong, almost certainly so, as different players with different ideas and inspirations take control of the role of narrator. So their speculations are likely to develop or change altogether from scene to scene. At the end, after the horror has been revealed, the players share all their speculations with one another. It is almost as though there had been a fact about the matter. Almost as though they had assembled clues to guess about it and almost as though they learned the terrible truth at the end. Except nothing was fixed as the truth in advance, and so it is an elaborately constructed pretense of the pleasure of discovery 
rather than the real thing. If you 100% abandon the asymmetry in knowledge between the DM and player, it's about the best you can do. Towards the other end of the spectrum, in We Hunt the Keepers, a Dungeon World actual play podcast DM'd by Jason Cordova, Cordova often keeps a sense of mystery going by reserving knowledge and control of certain facts for himself. He operates, so to speak, with a DM screen partially in place. Although the rules and ethos of the game dictate that he cede control of most details of the mystery to the players in play. And, in Lovecraft-esque fashion, at the end of the whole series, the big reveal is going to be constructed collaboratively, looking back on the clues assembled. This brings us to a fault line in the OSR playstyle. The element in some tension with the pleasures of discovery and secrecy is the preference among some OSR types for low-prep gaming. In part, this is connected with a commitment to the pleasures of emergent story. Hint, that's going to be the next post. And the universal hatred of railroading in all its forms. In other part, it's connected with a desire not to get paralyzed by unnecessary questions. People in the OSR regularly come out with sentences like start small and don't get too far ahead of your players and don't invest in a snowflake of a world. Given that prep simply is the stocking of a storehouse of secrets, these dictums all say do less of that. On the side of tools, rules, and hacks, people have developed many techniques that allow a more improvisational style of play that fits these dictums. For example, methods of procedurally generating at the table a garden in Yin, the layout of Castle Gargantua, or a space hulk in Mothership. This point needs to be handled with some care, since methods of random generation need not be in conflict with the pleasures of discovery. Start with a simple case, a random encounter table in a dungeon. I view these as essential elements of OSR play. To some extent, a random encounter table makes a variable of the movements and presence of various NPCs, factions, and threats. There is no fact of the matter about whether on turn 3 a band of crabmen is sidewalking your way until the die comes up a 1 on the encounter check and the result of crabmen is rolled on the table. But it would be confused to say that this speaks against the pleasure of discovery. Encounter tables represent the shifting ecology of an adventuring site. The factions, vermin, threats, and hazards that move around it freely. To have a random encounter is to learn something that is an already established fact about the locale. In this case, say, that crabmen move through this area to feed on the giant clams in the submerged caverns to the north. It is important here that encounters can be repeated, and also that a well-designed encounter table reflects facts about the dungeon factions, interlopers, and environmental hazards. If well-designed, 
An encounter is itself a discovery about fixed facts about an adventure site. A harder case is where both the encounters and the nature and layout of the locale are procedurally generated. But even here, a lot depends on the case. Take the Gardens of Ene, one of the best products of the OSR, in my humble opinion. The Gardens of Ene are meant for successive delves. Emmy Allen writes, Ene shifts and rearranges itself. Until the PCs actually look, the next location exists in a state of quantum uncertainty. There is, therefore, no need to roll up locations ahead of time. Every time players visit the Gardens of Ene, roll up a new starting location from scratch. She has three different tables to roll on, one for the location, one for the features of the location, and another for ongoing events in the location. These combine with random encounter checks that are garden-wide, but that take a more dire form the more deeply one penetrates it. In one way, these rules do block the pleasures of discovery. The DM does not have any concrete secrets in advance. The facts are all in a quantum state, and so the players cannot discover them. But in another sense, that's not true. Part of the fun, and the key to surviving the Gardens of Eden, is to understand the strange principles by which it operates. Principles that are fixed in advance, and which the players will certainly need to learn. So it is a big discovery that, when you go back in for the second time, you end up in a place that is totally different, and that the map has changed. The players learn they will only ever get one crack at each location. It is also a big discovery that when you push deeper, changes happen in a certain direction, that one can, as it were, plumb the depths of the gardens. Finally, there's a kind of aesthetic logic to the whole place that will be one of the main pleasures of discovery, along with a single shared encounter table. So, it's a mixed bag in this regard. It systemically thwarts the pleasures of secrecy and discovery in one way, but enables it in another way. What it takes with one hand, it gives back, in some measure, with the other. I wouldn't want to play this way all the time, but I think it would be fun to do for a bit. This also explains why I'm not so keen on the raving enthusiasm for low-prep gaming that is expressed episodically in certain strands of OSR culture. I run zero or very low prep games when I DM for kids, which I do a lot, but that's because the higher pleasures are lost on them. It's not like when I play a proper game with grown-ups. Different people like different things, so I'm not being prescriptive when I say that, for me, the pleasures of secrecy and discovery are at the heart of role-playing. One reason why the OSR style of play appeals to me is that it makes this pleasure easy. That was Pleasures of the OSR, Secrecy and Discovery, written by Ben L. and read for you by Nick L.S. Whalen. 
Blogs on Tape is a project that works with authors to make great RPG blogs more accessible through audio recordings. It's a community effort which you can contribute to by donating a few dollars to help offset our hosting costs, which you can do at ko-fi.com slash blogs on tape. And whether or not you're able to contribute in this way, thank you very much for listening.